Hey, I'm Garrett. And I'm Daniel. And this is Modern Gays. On today's episode, we have Dr. Carlton joining us. He is a gay GI doctor based out of San Diego, California, focusing on health and all things but stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I think that it's so important to have an awareness and idea of your sexual health and your overall health and wellness. Like, how did you land into GI? How did you land into even being really more of a queer and gay specialist within your work? Well, I kind of fell into, um, so to speak, uh, to, to being a gastroenterologist. A gastroenterologist is a doctor of the digestive system. So I, I cover anything from the mouth to the anus and then the organs like the pancreas and the, the liver and the gallbladder and everything else that in our accessory to the digestion, you're treating people of all ages with all kinds of problems. Um, you're making lives better. You're preventing cancer and detecting cancer early. Um, so it's a big life-changing field of medicine for a lot of people. I always tell people if people could eat, sleep and poop, they'd all be happy no matter how rich they were. As far as why I got into the gay aspect of things just because when I was in medical school in South Carolina, I was about to have a new partner and I wanted to go to my student health office and get an HIV test because this was 1996. So it was still pretty scary to go into the student health office and say, hey, you want to get an HIV test to just make sure that I don't give my partner HIV in case I'm HIV positive. I think it's just a responsible thing to do. Right. And they treated me like, like I was an absolute whore that I should be ashamed of myself for going and asking for something like that at a student health office. This is an accounting health clinic. How dare you? Mm. It just made me feel so ashamed of trying to protect another person, you know? And I said, you know what? I, I never want anyone else to feel like I just felt. I don't want anyone queer to ever feel like I just felt seeing a doctor. So I went through the whole training process, got my job. And I wanted to connect with the queer community and provide queer health and sex education in a proper way. I barely got sex education, let alone gay sex education. And when it comes to queer health, we all have different needs than straight folks. Uh, we do things differently. We have different lifestyles. Um, so there are certain things that our community needs that should be highlighted and addressed to make our sexual health and overall lives better. And so I made that my mission on Instagram and built this platform and it really took off. And then last year, because it was pre-built, when Impox hit, I used it as a springboard to get people vaccinated, treated, educated about risk factors. And I think I listed over a thousand clinics, had over 10,000 guys vaccinated. And this is all over the world. And it was recognized by the Biden administration. I went to the White House. Just it took crazy stuff I never thought would ever happen, happened. But I just think it's so important for us to all take care of each other. I think we, as a queer community, we've already been through one major epidemic and we kind of have been there before. So I'm always looking out for the next thing to make sure that we're protected. And so many people get a lot of their education from social media because they don't have access to doctors within their hometowns or within their community or programs that help educate better sexual health practices. Um, right. More programs are being taken out of schools. Um, right. Absolutely. And in the U.S., you see, you know, there's sure there are liberal states like California and Massachusetts and New York. Great. But everywhere else is going backwards. Yeah. And you're right. A lot of that stuff is being taken away. 
you, know, you see Florida and their don't say gay bill and all this kind of bizarre stuff that's happening over there. And we have a big neighborhood here called Hillcrest. Hillcrest is the gay section of town where all the gay bars are, gay shops. Although it's gentrifying somewhat, it still maintains the neighborhood status. But you go just 10 miles out of downtown in any direction and it can get kind of conservative. Really? Yeah, it's shocking. Like LA and San Francisco and San Diego, they're all just like incredibly blue. But then you step 10 miles out of, outside of the town and it's, wow, yeah, it gets pretty, pretty scary. <laughs> but you go from this liberal uh, neighborhood to this Trump supporting community that is incredibly conservative and very racist and homophobic. So, yeah, even in California, you have your pockets. So do you find that when you are working with patients and treating people locally, that people are coming in from to other areas, from r more rural or suburban cities? Or do you find that you treat mostly people within that community? Well, I take care of a lot of underprivileged people who are from Mexico, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Vietnam, the Philippines, Ethiopia, Somalia. Um, so a lot of my basic gastroenterology work is in that area. I do have a subset of my practice that is in the neighborhood downtown because I want to keep part of that as my, as, as part of who I am. I had someone fly in from Miami last week to have a colonoscopy. Wow. All the way across country. So we're talking six hour flight just to come see me to do a colonoscopy. And that, that blows me away. It just speaks to the trust and when you really become an advocate and an ally and someone that is working within the community, I think that you really can attract people that can't easily find that around them. And that's right. incredible about this like social platform. My real life is mostly doing general gastroenterology stuff for underprivileged folks, but I have this deep passion for queer healthcare and queer sex education. So that's where I spend all my social media time. Yeah. I think speaking about social media time and queer healthcare, on your Instagram, Garrett and I found that you have a little reel that you did about butthole Botox. It's been found to be helpful in people with anal rectal disorders where the muscle of the anal sphincter is super duper tight and won't relax. So someone with a tear or a fissure, if you put a little Botox in each four of the quadrants, it allows the hole to open up and relax so blood flow can get in there and the fissure can heal. There are also people who, no matter how many techniques I give them for opening up, they're so tight back there that they can get even a pencil sized thing in their butthole. So what happens with this Botox is it allows the hole to relax enough so that you can be penetrated. And it's a big game changer for a lot of people who have underlying pelvic floor issues or just a really tight hole. So it is a thing. There was a Netflix show called Uncoupled with Neil Patrick Harris. And the joke was his boyfriend was a dermatologist and had a syringe full of Botox in his nightstand drawer. And they go to start having sex and Neil Patrick Harris realizes, oh my God, this guy's cock is huge. There's no way that's going in. And, and so the dermatologist says, don't worry, I've got Botox right here. And I'll just inject this into your butt. And he's like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so what I like to tell people is it doesn't work like that. It takes a couple of weeks to actually kick in. So you can't just shoot Botox into somebody's butthole and think that you're going to be able to plow them right away. It's 
the Botox, you think they're tightening and firming. So it's funny that it actually does the reverse on your butthole. Well, because it's actually it releasing, it's like it's releasing that tension within your muscles. Your muscles, ah, yeah. Right. Can you get this at a dermatologist, or do you have to go to a specialist? You can usually pro- proctologists do that, and and there are some aesthetic clinics in the U.S. at least that can do that. It's not something that's really often needed for a lot of people, but it's definitely helpful in certain areas. Another technique that you had shared to help you prepare for anal sex was. <laughs> The clock method, which is like your signature. Can you explain what that that is and how it works? When I was in medical school, I did a prostate health clinic. And the number one thing that guys were, especially straight guys, were scared of was having something in their ass. And so I came up with this method where I could make the hole relax by just pressing laterally. So think of your hole as a circle. The internal sphincter is made out of smooth muscle, which you cannot control with your brain, but the external is made out of skeletal muscle, which you can. So when you can clench and release and clench and release, that's what the external sphincter does. The internal sphincter actually can be relaxed by gently sliding your finger directly in about two inches and pressing over laterally to say three o'clock on that clock Mm -hmm. and holding firm pressure there for about 15 to 30 seconds. And that tight little circle starts opening up and you move to the different positions on the clocks. And it keeps opening up more and more and more. So it's kind of like the key to the lock. And I can't tell you how much international praise people have given me for this technique because it's changed their lives. Uh, people are like, oh my God, I can have anal sex now. My husband loves me. <laughs> and it's men and women, you know? And so I tell everybody, hey, everybody, although this is primarily aimed at the gay community, everybody's got a butt. Correct. Uh, it has no sexuality or, or masculinity or femininity or dom or, or sub role. It's it, and in men, especially our G spot is back there. So it's one of those things where we really ought to be able to explore ourselves and open up. So yeah. So I recommend to do this technique as part of foreplay because of that opening up doesn't last very long. Can full play really help with the whole speaking of relaxation and opening up? Does that really help with the muscles? At- Absolutely, for sure. Just warming it up back there. Uh, I tell people to blow on it, nibble on it, kiss it, lick it, penetrate it a little bit with your finger and open it up a little bit. Yeah. And then, because the last thing you want to do is tear someone's anus and cause it fissure, which can put you out of commission for months to even years Mm. and even require surgery in bad cases. So you don't want to hurt someone. And being on the receiving end of someone who didn't know what they were doing and just like rammed it in there. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm a very loud proponent of something like this when it comes to my bottoming tips for people. That's the number one thing is number one, you know, breathe. Number two, start on top so that you control how fast things go in and, and, and how deep they go in so that you're not hurt. Use lots of great lube. Silicone, I think is best for anal, uh, water-based lube for toys because of the latex aspect of things. And then I remind people that everybody's curves are different. Some one penis is not like, exactly like another. So you may like it to go in a certain way. And if they're curved the other way, then you may have to switch up your position to, to find the right position. Uh-huh. I tell people to push out when they're being penetrated, because as you push out, it opens you up a little bit more as well. And just switch it up and communicate. Yeah, I think communicate is really good because the point of that intimacy or even in that temporary intimacy between any kind of partner that you have, if it's not your long-term partner, is just communication so that you can really clearly explain and 
talk about what you want and what you're looking for within that experience. Mm. And it's so taboo because so very often people are just quiet. Like they're just guessing. Like, do you like? Right. Well, secretly in pain. Or, you know, yeah. And I think that yeah. communication is awesome. Communication and reading and reading cues from right. like, facial expressions and their auditory expressions. Absolutely. Well, sp- speaking of like those cues, I think there was a scene that's gone viral where there was missionary sex in red, red, white, and royal blue. And the internet was blowing up. The straight internet was blowing up that people were shocked that gay men could have sex in a missionary position. They didn't understand how it would work. Oh, jeez. Like, there... Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Not Not yet. Not yet. But I've heard the The meme. The gist of it, yeah. I'm just... What kind of other stereotypes do you hear? Do you hear anything from your patients who are gay or queer themselves where you're like, oh, no, that is not what it's like? Like, what are some of the kind of big alarming things that you hear even as a doctor today that people still think are true? Well, I think one of the things is everybody thinks they're automatically going to be in diapers when they're 70 because they had anal sex, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not be able to control their anal sphincter. Whereas that's completely not true unless you have an injury from yeah, anal sex, like a tear of the sphincter. As long as the sphincter is kept intact and the uh, the snapback potential of your sphincter is pretty strong. When it comes to more extreme play, like fisting and things like that or larger toys, people get more concerned about that, rightly so, because there is more risk. But... Yeah. Again, I tell, I reassure people in general that as long as you take your time, you go slow, you use lots of lube, and you don't injure someone, then everything will be fine. And I guess for consideration of the health of your body, is there such thing as too much sex? Can you have anal sex every day? Can you have it twice a day? Can you, like, what oh, absolutely. Are any you, kind of limits? No, I think only the only limit when it comes to sex is when it becomes something that controls your life or gets in the way of your daily activities. So... If you're too busy masturbating or having anal sex all day to go to your job or to maintain friendship connections, then that's more of a problem area. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with having sex all day long. I think there's still a lot of stigma and a lot of education that people need to understand to maintain their own health and to help Mm. communicate their status. Right. uh, And access the right kind of health care that can help help people get vaccinated for things that they might have more risk towards. Do you find that there's a lot of really great programs and accessibility in San Diego and California or even in the U.S.? In California, we generally take care of our population. It's much easier to get insurance here and to get insured if you're underinsured. But yeah, we do have community health clinics that are, there are LGBT centers in Southern California. There are great health organizations like AHS and other similar type clinics that provide free SDI testing, treatments, prep services, PEP services. And uh, it's really important to have that kind of access. Not every place has that. Mm. Um, compared to, say, someone in, say, rural Alabama, where there's not a place where you can go find a gay-friendly doctor who's going to prescribe you PrEP, it's really easy here. Do you feel like most GI doctors don't have the same kind of focus that you do? Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty unique when it comes to this. Not, not many people have the focus that I do when it comes to queer health and the GI tract, but it, it's shocking the lack of knowledge in the general medical community about what we need versus what a straight person needs. I remember going for my prep physical with my gay doctor, and he would always do my blood tests and make sure that my kidneys were okay, make sure I wasn't HIV positive or had 
syphilis or hepatitis. And then he would give me a urine cup to, to pee in to check my urethra for any sort of gonorrhea or chlamydia infection of the urethra. But also he would swab my throat and also swab my ass to see if I had gonorrhea or chlamydia in my throat or my ass. The only way to find an infection for gonorrhea or chlamydia is to check where you play. Mm. So you may be infected in your butt, but have a normal urinary specimen and a normal throat specimen and think you're clear and continue to propagate gonorrhea through the community because you didn't realize you had it because you weren't checked properly. So proper STI testing is really key in our community. And it's something that people tell me that even though it's on the CDC website for STI testing is that's the proper thing to do. A lot of people say that they've never even had a rectal swab or a throat swab for gonorrhea or chlamydia. And they go to their doctors and ask them about it. And their doctors look at them like they're aliens, that that doesn't really exist. Yeah. So there's a huge lack of, of education on the doctor side here too. Right. What would be your message for the youth of today and how to take care of themselves and what to really be paying attention mm -hmm. to when they're exploring mm -hmm. their sexuality and considering Absolutely. their own sexual health? Absolutely. Unfortunately, I grew up in a time where I was so afraid to have sex because people were dying from it in the AIDS epidemic and HIV epidemic in the eighties and nineties. We don't have that anymore. Sure. It's, it happens, but most people, once they find out they're positive, get treated and they're fine. Mm. I live a completely normal life. So my message, my sexual health, one one message for everyone clear. Yeah. Number one, know your HIV status. If you're positive, get treated to undetectable status. Undetectable means you can't quantify the virus in the blood on standard laboratory testing. So once you're undetectable, you cannot transmit the virus. So undetectable equals untransmissible. And that's been really verified through a lot of science. I have friends who one partner is HIV positive, the other is HIV negative. They haven't used condoms in years. And because the one partner is undetectable, they've never transmitted to the other partner. So know your HIV status. Number two, if you're negative for HIV and you have risk factors to get HIV, go on prep to prevent HIV. As long as you qualify and make sure you know, your kidneys are functioning well, there's all kinds of ways to do prep these days. The most common way is a daily pill. There is a two-in-one method on demand where you take it when you need it. And now there's injectable prep, which can last some forms of it last two months, some forms of it last six months so that you don't have to remember to take a pill every day. Still, if you look at what's happening in new HIV cases, the majority are in younger guys and in minority guys because of, I think the younger part is probably because of maybe lack of access to healthcare, but also that not having to go through the whole HIV epidemic that a lot of us did in our formative years. And then when, uh, when it comes to minorities, it's very complicated because of the racism in healthcare, the lack of access, the cultural aspects of being less likely to come out or want to talk about sex with a provider. So there's a lot of factors that go into why that's happening. And it just says a lot of and healthcare inequities, at least here. So knowing your HIV status, getting on prep, if you're, if you're negative, going on treatment, if you're positive, condoms are great. They really are effective at preventing a lot of STIs. But not everybody uses them these days. And it's one of those things where I tell people it's probably the best way to protect yourself. But if you're not going to use condoms or then at least make sure that you're on prep or you're getting treated to undetectable status. 
If there's also PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis, if you ever have a situation where you slip up and you're not on PrEP and you had unprotected anal sex, then it's probably a good idea to go on post-exposure prophylaxis if you don't know the, your partner's status, mm. which is frequently the case when you have a random hookup. You don't know what, if somebody's positive or negative. Yeah, right. So you, it's not something that I like people to rely on uniformly as their only method of protecting themselves, but if you have that emergency, that's what it's for. So that's the HIV part of things. Vaccination, also incredibly important. Mpox, get both shots. 86% of effective at preventing infection if you have both shots. HPV. HPV is the virus that causes anal and genital warts, and it is a risk factor for cervical cancer, anal cancer, throat cancer. Meningitis also happens in odd spurts about every five years in the gay community. We had a, an outbreak in Florida last year where several people died. And it's usually spread in the gay community because of close contact, like steam rooms, bathhouses, gyms, that kind of thing. When you go to play, inspect the merchandise. Yes. If it doesn't, if it doesn't look or smell right, then don't play. Yes. If, you, if someone has a big, if, if, yeah, if so, so someone has a big sore on their penis or it smells terrible, do not, do not go there. Oh, you know, just really, yeah, yeah. Don't put yourself in that situation. Yeah. And, and lastly, one of the biggest things that's really new here is doxypep. Doxypep is where you take doxycycline, 200 milligrams within 24 to 72 hours of a high-risk exposure, and it reduces your risk of chlamydia and syphilis by 70 to 73%. Wow. By just taking that one-time dose of 200 milligrams of doxycycline. It is not standard protocol here in the U.S. It's not even CDC recommended, but it is listed on the CDC website as an option. A lot of people are nervous about potential antibiotic resistance occurring. But with doxycycline, I think that it's pretty rare for something like that to happen. It's been used forever in, in acne. I think anything that cuts out syphilis or chlamydia by 70 to 73% can have a major impact on our community as far as keeping us healthier. Absolutely. Yeah. So you really don't um, have any excuses because there's so many options to prepare yeah. and to not only protect your own health, but to be responsible to protect yeah. Correct. Well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And again, there are things that pop up that aren't really covered by this stuff like herpes and other infections. But in general, if you're going to go to a bathhouse and have unprotected anal sex with a bunch of guys, then, hey, number one, know your status. Number two, get your STI testing. Number three, inspect the merchandise. Number four, make sure you, make sure you do doxypep after you're done. Yeah, I think it's just tremendous as far as getting those preventive measures in yeah. place. Yeah, that's been super informative and we've learned so much and I hope that a lot of our listeners have as well. Thank you so much for having me. And we will share a lot of the ways that you can connect with Dr. Carlton on the episode notes. So make sure to check that out where you'll be able to connect with him on Instagram and learn more about all his specialist techniques. Thank you again for joining us. All right. Take care, guys. Right. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Modern Gaze. We hope you're enjoying our podcast so far. Make sure that you follow, turn on alerts, and even turn on auto downloads so that you get our episodes first. Our episodes come out every Tuesday and they stream anywhere podcasts play. 